I grew up in a time and a place where it was normal for uh, school children, uh, whatever their age, to go home for their dinner and uh, return an hour later uh, for the afternoon lessons. And uh, this walk home, for me, um, from about the age of seven, after we'd moved house, um, meant it would actually take me past the bakery where my parents worked. You know, the, the shop would shut up lunchtime and my mum and dad would go home and I would go home with them, having waited that few minutes between me getting there and it being one o'clock when the shop shut. And in those uh, few minutes, I would go into the bakehouse and uh, each day uh, a, a different food would sort of be being prepared at that time. You know, it depended on what day of the week for what was coming out at that time of day. Perhaps the lids were going on the top of meat pies or biscuits were getting dipped in chocolate. A large, thin sponge might be covered in jam and then converted into a Swiss roll that would then get cut up into smaller Swiss rolls. And all these different things went on. But the one that always fascinated me was seeing bread platted. You know, you start off with a lump of dough, And then it would kind of be split apart and then brought back together again. The strips recombined. And I think the thing that fascinated me about it was because when you looked at it after it had been baked, you could see those different elements all there. You could see the different bits that had been woven over each other. But yet when you cut into it, it was one. You couldn't see the separate strands inside because it was all one. But yet definitely from the outside it was either a three or an eight or whatever size plat that particular loaf or fruity loaf as it sometimes was. Um, had been made from. And I often think about that oneness within as I approach some of the passages in the Bible, particularly things about the Trinity. The, there's not so much of a mention of a Holy Spirit here in the prologue, but the Father and the Son being one. It gives that sense of they're one, we might talk of them in different ways, we, we see them as different characters, but they're actually one when you look at it properly. And there's a weaving together in John's prologue here that brings different aspects uh, that are quite separate, but they all suddenly become one. The beginning of John's Gospel tackles Christ's presence 
a creation. Or at least he refers to the word being there. We, the second person of the Trinity being one with the first person of the Trinity, as we might think of it in other circumstances. John talks of John the Baptist and the role of preparing the way. He talks of the earthly birth of the human and divine Christ. Christ's power over sin. The adoption of the believer into the one holy family, the heavenly father, calling us to be his. There's a sense within this passage about the inclusion of the Gentiles. And they're all woven together. There's an interconnectedness that forms the whole gospel. We quite often think of this uh, as a key that unlocks the understanding of the rest of John's gospel. It lets you in on some hidden secrets that are there that you can refer back to the prologue and go, oh yeah, this is because... Whatever thing there. Because he was there at creation. Because he is the son of God. All those aspects. It becomes a, a key that unlocks other parts of the gospel. Um, but yet, um, some commentators say you can't really understand the prologue until you've read the rest of the gospel. So it's actually a bit of an enigma. It's the bit that allows you to understand the rest of the gospel. But yet it's got little bits of complexity within it that you need to read the rest of the gospel first. But these ideas are therefore woven. And uh, the text is there such that and no part of it can be omitted without you losing out something. If you're to try and cut one of these pieces out, it'd be obvious that there was something there. It wouldn't have the crust round about it that a loaf has when you cut through it. When we know something is missing, Maybe we've mislaid our keys or a wallet or the important note that we've written ourselves as a reminder of what we have to do. Um, then we'll look for that missing item. And we'll want to discover it. And uh, actually Luke's gospel gives us a wonderful trilogy of parables that uh, Jesus told about things being lost the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son all appearing in the same chapter. But here in John's Gospel, we get a sense that there is a lostness. There is something missing from people's lives. But there's an issue because they don't know that that thing is missing. There are people who are lost in that they don't have the light and the life of God. 
the light and life that were present at the beginning, the thing that from that very being, it's gone. Although all was present, light and life have become unknown, unrecognised. There's part of the mix of life, the joining together of our being, which is sometimes missing. And individuals and society don't realise that it's absent. And therefore... They don't look for it. If you don't realise that it's missing, you don't search. John the Baptist's role was to prepare for the coming of the, the one the world had lost sight of. In calling for people to repent, he was saying... You've lost something vitally important. And the writer tells us that even as Jesus was among the people who should have known who he was, they didn't recognise him. They couldn't see that there was a peace missing from their lives. When we lose our keys or misplace our phone or whatever else it is the keys don't come suddenly running after us and say I'm here it'd be useful sometimes perhaps if they did it's not usually until we come back to our front door that we realise that we've locked ourselves out. It's not until we get to the checkout that we maybe realise that we don't have our wallet or our purse with us. The moment that we need to pay is the moment that we realise that it's missing. that the thing that we're missing, that the world is missing, has come. The light and life that was missing from the world has come and said, I'm here. And had John the Baptist preparing the way, saying that there is one that is coming. It is actually possible to get your keys to tell you nowadays that you've left them behind. You know, if I, if I leave my phone there and walk out the door, my watch will buzz to tell me that it, my phone's too far away. So it is possible, but it's not something we do too often. But what is missing from lives is not an object that we can attach an electronic tag to, but the true presence of God. And so in this mini-telling of the gospel, this mini-telling of 
of everything else that John is going to tell us. He has to tell us about the very being of God himself. And he takes us there. Not to creation, but before creation. Before the beginning of anything that we can see or touch. Before anything else has transpired. Before there is a universe, before there is time. The word was with God and was God. There's no physical reality in existence, but there is God. And coming from God's word is all of creation. All of life proceeds from him. Yet this one from whom all life came actually comes into this place of life. He comes and dwells among us. And it's a relative to all of history that has gone before and the history that has passed since. It's, it's an incredibly short time that he comes as a human. An incredibly brief period from his spiritual conception in Mary's womb through the time of the cross and the tomb to his ascension to the Father's side. And yet those 33 years or so convert us from Adam's cursed time into the possibility of being part of a new creation, a new being, a new time. And that once only event of the cross is like the once only events back in those first days of Genesis where land and sea are separated or the plants begin to grow or the animals begin to wander. that once only act of the cross gives us the possibility of new life. And the life on offer is for individuals to choose. To choose whether they have life or whether they don't have life. But of course first they have to know that such a life exists. That there is a life that they can choose to have. And the church, that is the body of believers, must not be afraid of telling the story or offering the invitation to discover more. But we will only do that if we actually value what we've got if we appreciate what we've maybe already received, if we delight 
in what we have, then surely we want to tell others. I wonder how much do we value life? We might say that life is priceless. There's no cost too great for saving a life. But would it be affordable or sensible maybe to have an ambulance and police car and fire engine at every um, street junction? No, that wouldn't quite work for physical life, would it? It'd reduce response times, but it's not practical. It requires them to go out from their base or to be in their patrol area, responding to those in need. But yet, in nearly every street, there is a believer. But do we respond to those in need? Do we offer life? What is the saving of someone's spiritual life? What value do we put on that? Do we see ourselves as uh, Christ's first responders going to those in great need? Coming and sharing the hope we have. Bringing a sense of life as almost spiritual paramedics. Meeting the need of the community and bringing a hope of new life and of light to those who are struggling in the darkness but don't know how they can be saved because they don't know of the life-giving power of Jesus. They don't know the hope of the gospel. Christ is the source of all life. May we delight in what has been made known to us. And may part of that delight be in others hearing the gospel of truth and of grace that God has given to us. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, all life proceeds from you. And we give thanks that uh, you made this earth and that's your creation. It was beautiful. It was delight. It was good. And you saw it to be good. But we live in a fallen world. 
a groaning earth. An earth that is groaning for new hope, for new life, for life in all the fullness that you could bring. So, Lord, when opportunities come before us, when there is a chance to speak of your grace, of your forgiveness, of your hope, let us not see those times pass by, but strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Give us the words in our mouths. Give us the actions in our hands that we might honour you and see something of your kingdom coming, something of the new creation being made. And Lord, may we in this church and may the whole of your church in its many forms around the globe ever speak of that truth and of the life you offer that redemption that comes through Christ Amen